Good morning. Well, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, we'll jump right in. Uh, Exodus chapter, is it three or four? Exodus chapter four, if you would. In your Bibles. Did you come wanting God to speak to you this morning? That's three of you that I heard. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you did. Um, praise God that He's willing to come to our meetings, right? And praise the Lord for what He'll say to each one of us this morning if we have ears to hear it. So Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 18. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men are dead who sought your life. Then Moses took his wife, his sons, and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Father, we just want to ask for your help and blessing this morning. Uh, Specifically, Lord God, uh, I pray on behalf of every person in this room, whether they are saved or whether they are one breath and one heartbeat away from spending eternity in the lake of fire, I earnestly pray this morning that you would speak to your people. Lord, you know better than we know how they need to hear from you today. Father, we get so used to grieving and quenching the Spirit of God that we do not recognize it. Father, we there, things are not how they should be. Things are not how we, we want them to be. We're certainly not complaining. You're an amazing God. You've given us an amazing salvation. We are so thankful for the family of God in this place. It is a privilege for me to be in this place and to fellowship with your people here. Father, we give you thanks and praise for everything that you do that is good and for every good and perfect gift that has come down from above. At the same time, Lord, we earnestly pray that you would speak to your people today and that not only would your people hear and be more accountable and yet obstinate in their sin, but we pray that you would give us grace to repent. We pray that you would give us grace to be changed, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ and that things would function better for the glory of your Son and the blessing of your people, that Jesus Christ would get more pleasure from this assembly and the individuals that are sitting here this morning. Father, we just pray that you would have your way during this time. Please give help. Please control this and empower this by the Spirit of God, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you want to jot down a title, this is is titled, Moses Gets to Know the Lord. I'm picking up, for those of you that were here on Friday night, I'm picking up on the thoughts that we had on Friday night. If you'll remember, we started with Moses running ahead of the Lord's timing, killing the Egyptian, running from Pharaoh who wanted to kill him, being in the desert, becoming a shepherd, uh, watering sheep, having little shepherd babies, uh, naming them Gershom, uh, foreigner. Um, Now he's spent 14,600 days in the desert Uh, He gets this miraculous call at the burning bush. He gives five excuses. The Lord gives five amazing, encouraging responses. Moses is reluctant with those five excuses, but ultimately, uh, when the Lord gets angry, he submits to the will of God in his life. And that's where we pick up right here. Moses has now left his vocation. It's not an easy thing to do. Moses has left his in-laws. I don't know whether that was an easy thing for Moses. (laughs) Some people find that easier than others. We'll just say that. 
Um, I don't know how hard that was on his wife. Um, He is now giving his whole life in service to the Lord. And he's on his way to serve the living God and to stand before a man that is revered as a God by his people with a message that that man is going to hate. And the reason why I love this whole, these, this whole section of Scripture today is the Lord is going to teach him three essential things that every servant of God has to know. If you aim, and I earnestly hope and pray that you do, if you aim to serve God with your life, to live a life that, that reflects what Jesus Christ said, forsake all and follow me. If that's the purpose and the joy of your heart this morning, there are three things in the Word of God that you have to know in order to live that life. And that's, that's what we're going to look at. Now, this isn't even number one, but I just want to highlight one little thing here that we read in verse number 18. Remember, Moses just got a call from the omnipotent God at the burning bush. Nobody can argue whether or not this is the will of God for his life. Notice how he carries out the will of God. I really want to emphasize this this morning, even though it's not point number one. It says, So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please. I have that word underlined in my Bible. Please. How did Moses carry out the will of God? If you're taking notes or if you're just mentally recording these things, then please just highlight in your mind, he carried out the will of God in a submissive, obedient way. That's the way Jesus Christ carried out the will of God. He didn't go home and just announce to his father-in-law, I'm taking your daughter, I'm done with, with the business. God has called me to something different, I'm out of here, see ya. Right? Or, or even if he was nice, I know that was a little harsh, but even if he was nice, he didn't go home to his father-in-law and say, and say I'm leaving, God called me. He, he went home and he said, please, right? Boy, that's instructive, isn't it? David waited. I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Right? He waited. Do you admire that? I think maybe I'm, I'm emphasizing this because I've seen many of my friends not do this. And maybe, probably more, I'm emphasizing this because the tendency at times of my own heart has been to, to just run ahead with what I saw or run ahead with what I determined God's will was for my life. Does that make sense? The protection of authority, the protection of submission is essential to a successful life. This is such tangible, real life. I have a friend that just led a rebellion just as relative. In the past five years, I have a friend that led a rebellion from his assembly. He took ten families with him. I watched for 15 years. I watched the frustration with the oversight. Watched them try to bring him along. I watched... Watch them try to deal with him, try to rein him in. I mean, for his good. I, I watched the whole process and then finally he got sick of it. He took ten families from the assembly and left. Anybody want to guess how that went? This is real life. They made it two months. In the, and all of the sheep, right? A couple of them, literally a couple of them landed back in the assembly, just scattered to the wind. Sorry sheep just just wandering right hurt disillusioned all the rest of it um i so appreciate it that that moses sets this example um submission to authority okay now for sake of time let's jump into to um lesson number one let's read in verse 21 if you would the lord said to moses 
Remember the context. He's on his way to stand before Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Point number one in my outline is God rules in the kingdoms of men. And please remember, I know that we know this principle as a whole in this room. We know the principle, but remember the context. If you're going to forsake all and follow Christ, you need to know that God knows what's ahead of you. Right? Here in this, in this verse, the Lord says, okay, Moses, look, there's something you have to know. I'm sending you with a message to Pharaoh. You're going to stand before Pharaoh. You're going to represent me. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. In other words, it's not all going to be smooth sailing. I had no idea the amount of suffering in a normal Christian life when I was 20 years old. It's kind of nice, actually. Um, Young, enthusiastic, zealous, chomping at the bit to serve the Lord with my life, full of idealism, right? It's a very similar story to an awful lot of people. I had no idea the amount of suffering in a normal Christian life. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying you learn these things as you go along. And the living God here says to Moses, now Moses says, yes, I will forsake all and follow you. And then the living God says, there's something you have to know. You're going to go with my message and my message is going to be rejected. That wasn't the whole story, but it was a part of the puzzle that God wanted to have, or excuse me, that God wanted Moses to have. And and please notice, now I know this is a big theological can of worms, and I'm not, uh, by intent, um, going to deal with that big theological can of worms. Um, All I want to do is look at this historically. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Young's literal translation says, And I, I will strengthen his heart, and he doth not send the people away. Any way you cut it, you have to do biblical gymnastics to try to get this to say that it wasn't God's responsibility. God is taking credit for what is happening here in the future. So the Lord knows the future, and in this context, the Lord is controlling to an extent. Now, if you go through these passages in these coming chapters and you read the account then, then you come up with these phrases. You come up with Pharaoh's heart was hard. It's just a historical documentary that Pharaoh had a hard heart. You come up with, with the phrase Pharaoh hardened his heart. These are all mixed up, by the way. Pharaoh hardened his heart. So the scripture gives Pharaoh credit. And then you come up with the phrase the Lord hardened his heart. And here in this historical documentary of what is happening, the Lord takes credit ahead of time and says... I will harden his heart. Do you think the Lord might call you to a difficult work for him? I hope so. You want an easy life and then to do poorly at the judgment seat of Christ? That's the American way to reign as a king now, right? I don't pretend to have a great devotion for God. I I hope by the grace of God that God will give me grace to do anything he calls me to do. But boy, the tendency of the human heart is 1 Corinthians 4 to reign as kings before the time. 
Maybe the Lord would call you to a difficult work. Maybe the Lord would call you to go somewhere and to represent Him in places where they're cutting people's heads off. Forgive me for being crude. That's the world we live in, right? The Lord might call you to that. The Lord might call some of our friends to that. He calls Moses to this work and he says, look, Moses, I just want you to know that Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. I can't help but think of Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He, that's the Lord, turns it wherever he wishes. Is that good news? Who won the last election? The right guy or the wrong guy? I know this is a big can of worms too. I, I say authoritatively from the Word of God, the right guy won the last election. The will of God may be the downfall of the might of the United States of America. That may be God's will. That may be better for the glory of God and the furtherance of God's kingdom. Who knows? But it is a joy to me that the, the, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. How much do you pray for the president of our land? Boy, things like this, it, it reminds you to do these things. So God rules in the kingdoms of men. This is true for every one of you in this room. What a joy to have a God that loves you enough to give His own Son to die on the cross for you and, and He knows your future. He knows what He has called you to and He will prepare you. He'll strengthen you. That's what He's doing here in Moses, right? He's strengthening him for the work that's ahead. He wants them to let him go. In verse 23, I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. I'm not going to take the time to emphasize this, but being brought out of Egypt is, is a picture of salvation. Why does God want people brought out of Egypt? According to this text, so that you may serve him. Do you love serving the Lord? I hope you do. The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. If you don't love serving the Lord, please let me say, and I'm saying this not critically, I'm saying this pleading with you to have an amazing life that God wants for you. If you don't love serving the Lord, something is wrong. Maybe there's no life in you. Maybe you're one breath and heartbeat away from spending eternity in the lake of fire. Or maybe you're a sick Christian. You're not filled with the Spirit of God and so that life that overflows, that loves the Lord, that sees the beauty of Christ that longs to live for eternity, maybe that is so grieved and quenched that it doesn't show up in you right now. Let my people go that they may serve me. Now there is something I, I heavily want to emphasize here. At the end of verse number 23, he says, if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. That is called a threat, right? Is this an empty threat? Is it an idle threat? No. Did the Lord follow through on this threat? Okay, so my encouragement is very simple. Mentally, cut that out of your Bible and lift it off of the text. That little phrase, I will kill your son. And then go to your theological box. That's your collective understanding of who God is. Like we, we like, and I mean in our culture, we like a fuzzy, cuddly, Santa Claus type God, right? If we emphasize love on a college campus, they like that. They'll agree with you. You start talking about sin and judgment and they'll say, what do they say? You probably know. They say, my God would never do that, right? What's the answer to that? You say, you're right. Your God would never do that, right? The biblical God is a God of judgment. You've created a God that you like better than the biblical God. That's called idolatry. 
right? They created a God that they like, a cuddly, grandfatherly, Santa Claus-type God that would accept everybody. They take certain portions of Scripture and not other portions. Please understand, please understand the severity of the judgment of this God. Please, for your, for your blessing and for His glory, this is the kind of God that would say and follow through on an incredible statement like that. I will kill your son, your firstborn. Wow. This is not a God that you can mess around with. This is not a God that you can put in a box. This is not a heavenly ATM. Right? It's not like, okay, I'm going to keep this God in my pocket so that I can have good favor when I want to pull him out and ask him for things, like a heavenly genie. Right? I would that you make my medical bills go away. Right? My car is old, Lord. Right? It's a God of incredible judgment. I will kill your son. And he followed through on it. I don't like this at all. Um, but I feel myself compelled before God's people to say, uh, if you're planning to live a life of rebellion right now, if you're secretly living a life of rebellion right now, if you have a secret double life, if you're conforming outwardly because that's an expectation of your family, but in your heart there's a desire for wickedness and an inventing of evil, maybe you're even carrying out that evil, if that's you, I don't know how else to say it. Good luck. Man, there's people that I love that I can't even talk to anymore. And they've chosen rebellion against God. And their life is so hard. That is what the Bible says. The way of the transgressor is hard. And then the opposite of that is, my commandments are not burdensome. Come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In His presence is fullness of joy. Believers in this room, have you found that to be true? Oh, He's good, isn't He? He's so incredibly good. If you're here and you're not, and you're not wanting to serve God, there's something wrong. Maybe you're dead and maybe you need to be saved. And there's no life in you because there's no life in you. Maybe you're sick and you've grieved to quench the Spirit of God long enough that you just can't, you can't tell. If you're planning rebellion, that is so foolish. I'm not trying to insult you. Satan, when he rebelled against God, he was so stupid. Right? You rebel against the God that is giving you every breath. How do you think that's going to go? It does not go well. It does not go well in the lives of the people that I love. Um, if you refuse, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So please, put that in your theological box. As one of our young friends said this morning, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You may be fooling everybody else, but God knows exactly who you are and what you are and what you're doing. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, this he will also reap. That's New Testament teaching. Point number one, God's in charge. God rules in the kingdoms of men. We have to know that. If you're going to live a life of sold-out abandon for Christ, whatever comes, you have to know 
that He knows and that you can trust Him all through whatever comes. Okay, number two, for, for um, sake of time. Point number two in the outline. Read verse 24 if you would with me. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut the foreskin off of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he, that's God, let him, that's Moses, go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Point number two in the outline, God is holy and He is to be feared. God is holy and He is to be feared. Has anybody ever read this story and thought, what? Have you ever taken the time to slow down enough to read that and think, what in the world just happened, right? You don't have a lot of details there, but please, in the context, Moses has left everything to follow Christ. I I think this is an awful lot of you in this room. He's left everything to follow Christ. And then the Lord meets him on the way as if to kill him. Remember on Friday night, I said, make a mental note. Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. <laughs> Do you remember that? Poor Moses now has God wanting to kill him, right? Meeting, to, meeting him to kill him. And in the English, right, it paints this picture. You read about this and, and people will say, well, he was sick. I mean, that certainly fits the context. It doesn't say that specifically, but it fits the context. Whatever, whatever it is, I feel safer just using the biblical language. He had him. So whatever that means, if he was on his deathbed or whatever that means, he had him. And obviously there was a connection between Moses' Moses' infirmity, right? God's having him, and the, the unconformity in Moses' family. The whole issue was that Moses had two sons, according to this, this apparently, according to this story, one of the two sons, it seems, was not circumcised, had not been brought into conformity to God's revealed will. And that was serious enough, right? Let's just lay aside what you think and what I think for just a second. I mean, in the long, right, in the grand scheme of things, who cares what we think? What does God think? In the grand scheme of things, the living God thought that this lack of conformity in Moses' family was serious enough that the leader of the family should be held accountable, so he had him. And he was going to kill him. So Zipporah, Moses' wife, takes a sharp stone, she circumcises the son, she casts it at Moses' feet, says, Surely you are a husband of blood to me, and then the Lord releases Moses. So obviously that was the issue. And when that was corrected, then the Lord let Moses go. Man, I could read a passage like this and say, Lord, isn't that a little heavy-handed? The Lord knows I'm saying this in faith. But I could read that and think, He's giving everything to serve you. Couldn't you just tap Him on the shoulder and remind Him? Hey, there's an area in your family that's not not conformed to my will. What do we learn from this? We learn that God is holy and is to be feared. Um, I have this in all capital letters in my, in my notes. The Lord takes obedience seriously. Now, you can learn a ton of things from this, but that's the big one. The Lord takes obedience seriously. You can learn this. To, to lead a nation, that's what Moses was on his way to do. To lead a nation you first have to lead your own home. 
He couldn't lead a nation in conformity to the standards of God until he led his own home in conformity to the standards of God. You can learn this. It appears, and I think I'm being very conservative here, it appears from the context that Zipporah objects. Right? Mama bears are not huge fans of wounding the baby bears. It appears that she objects. She's from a different background. Right? Who knows how much she understood or didn't understand or whatever, but she strongly objects in the context to what she had to do because of the living God. What can you learn from that? Moses is required to obey God whether his wife was with him or not. Have you ever seen somebody serve the Lord and, and obey the Lord and love the church and their spouse wouldn't go along with them? Have you ever seen that? I've seen that. It's sad. I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. If you're young and single, don't marry poorly. Please don't marry poorly. For the glory of God and for your own blessing, don't marry poorly. There are a lot of people out there that have to serve God by themselves. They're required by God to serve Him. But they don't have that privilege of being equally yoked and pulling together in the things of God. One of them wants to, one of them does it. Some, sometimes it's passive, sometimes it's active. But you've just got one person pulling on the yoke instead of two people. You can learn that he's already going to to obey the Lord in Egypt. And this story teaches us that you must obey the Lord in everything. This is what I pray that the Spirit of God will emphasize in this room today. If you've harbored bitterness against a sister that's sitting across the room and you're not willing to speak with her, you're willing to sit in the same room and break bread, somewhat, I suppose, in hypocrisy, but you're not willing to humble yourself and make it right. I'm not suggesting these things are easy. I'm suggesting we're demanded to do these things. We're commanded. If you will not forgive, you will not be forgiven. If you won't forgive, that puts you in the place in your life where you're hindered, you shut down the Spirit of God and His work in your life, and you will not grow. It puts you in a place of carnality. If you've refused to deal with the bitterness in your life, the Lord demands obedience. He takes obedience seriously. Not only just this big, well, I did in a general sense, I want to please and honor God with my life. But, but he demands that, that what I would kind of refer to as the smaller things, right? Compared to the huge grand issues, he demands obedience. Please don't mess around with the Lord. If there are things that need to be made right, make them right. If you have rebellion in your heart against the oversight in this assembly... Confess it to the Lord. If you've sinned openly against them or against others, go and make it right. If it's in a limited circle right now, keep it in a limited circle and confess it and make it right before God. If you've sinned publicly, make it right before whoever knows. You learn from this story. God is holy and God is to be feared. The character of God has not changed. It's really an incredible story. Three lessons that Moses has to learn. Lesson number one, God knows everything. God's in charge. God, God will prepare you for what's coming. You can trust Him. It's not going to be easy by His design. It was never supposed to be easy. First Peter, right? Suffering now, glory later. Every one of us in this room, we just like glory now, glory later, right? In fact, we live such a padded Christian life in, in, um, in this world that in America, we live such a padded Christian life that sometimes it's hard to long for heaven. Because life's good here, right? You go to where they're, they're killing your, your kids, right? They're holding them up in front of you and then killing them. That would give you a different perspective, wouldn't it? 
right? If they took my wife away and did that, I think I would find it easier to think, looking forward to glory. But it's so padded here. I mean, it's, it's really a challenge in a way. We call it blessing. And sometimes you wonder how much of a blessing that is. Okay, for sake of time, one last point. Um, this is a great, a great point um, in God's Word. Uh, chapter 5, if you would. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their labor, from their work? Get back to your labor. Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. You shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not diminish it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go in sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it. And let them not regard false words. Now skip ahead, if you would, to verse 20. Then, as they, that's the officers of the Hebrews... Then, as the officers of the Hebrews came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them, and they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge. You have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Point number three in the outline is God is faithful and is to be trusted. But what I deeply want you to see, I delighted when when the Lord showed me this in His Word. What I want you to see This is the third thing that Moses has to know if he's going to sell out and follow Christ. What I want you to see is this. Moses did the right thing and everything just fell to pieces. Now, the story's not done yet, right? Sometimes you'll do the right thing and everything in your life will just fall to pieces. Do you believe that? Now, I've quoted this and I stand by this, right? Deuteronomy chapter 11. Moses says... um, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, which I command you today. The curse if you disobey the voice of the Lord your God and turn aside from the way that I command you today. Hence, built on scriptures just like that, I've said all over North America, obedience brings blessing, sin brings a curse. Is that true? Sure, it's true, right? So you read this story, obedience. Doesn't obedience bring blessing? Sure it does, if you keep reading the story, right? But in the midst of this trial... Moses did the right thing and not only is he putting himself out there in front of a man that could with less than a flick of his finger have Moses' head removed from his body. That'd be a little intimidating, wouldn't it? Not only is he being rejected, his message is being rejected by Pharaoh, but now the people of God are attacking him too. God can and does and will call people to hard works for His glory. Life isn't about us being comfortable and having an an easy life. Will your savings last you through retirement? That's the American way, right? Life isn't, isn't about that. It's about the glory of God. 
God calls Moses to a work. God says, Pharaoh's not going to listen. Now, Pharaoh rejects, the people of God reject, everything just explodes. And this is exactly the will of God. Moses is exactly where God wants him to be. It is such an important point. I can picture Moses here saying, Lord, I did not want this job. By the way, I'm basing this on verse 22 and 3. We haven't read it yet. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. I, I can't help but smile. I like the at all. <laughs> right? He doesn't stop it. Neither have you delivered your people. It's at all. Right. I haven't seen you do anything, Moses is saying, right? You can just see him. Moses didn't want this job. He told the Lord he couldn't do this job. He was content in the desert. Maybe the desert lacked some comforts and lacked excitement. It also lacked people wanting to kill him, right? Uh, he did his best. Now he's being attacked and blamed by the Hebrew people, right? Moses is discouraged. He did the right thing. Everything fell apart. This is an incredibly important lesson in God's Word. Sometimes you do the right thing and everything falls apart. There are some of you that have refused to do the right thing. I'm not speaking out of specific knowledge. I'm speaking out of experience, living amongst the people of God. There are some of you that have refused to do the right thing because you're afraid of what might happen. If you'll listen today, then the Spirit of God will tap you on the shoulder and He'll show you the right thing that you should have done maybe years ago that you've refused to do. It happens all the time amongst God's people. I don't wish this upon anybody. It's no fun. It's miserable, honestly. If I was going to use biblical language to describe my family, I'll stop here and say I deeply love my family. Thank the Lord for them. But if I was going to honestly and humbly use biblical language to describe my family, then I would choose Titus chapter 2 and the words, the words that are recorded there, ungodly and worldly lusts. Now, it's not wickedness. You could have met my dad. Maybe some of you did meet my dad somewhere along the line. Everybody that met my dad loved him. Five to six hundred people at my dad's funeral. It was a joy to watch the people come that loved my dad. He would be the first one to confess with tears ungodly and worldly lusts. Ungodly means lack of godliness, right? Christ does not have the preeminent place. It's not like we were wicked. It's not like my dad was wicked. It's not like he led us in wickedness. We were pro-God, pro-morality, pro-being born again, right? We were like good American Christians. At least that's the way I think of it. We're the good guys, now make a lot of money. That, that was the idea. Ungodliness. It's awe-godliness. Like a lack of godliness. A lack of the preeminence of Christ in every realm of your life. Worldly lust is not youthful lust. My dad was faithful to my mom. Praise God. My dad was faithful to us. Praise God. It's not youthful lust. It's worldly lust. It means earthbound desires. You're living for this world. That's what it means. You're not investing there. You're investing here. That was my family. That's how, that was my background. That's how I grew up. That's how I was conditioned and taught and molded and encouraged. I feel sorry sometimes for young people that have to fight their own parents to live a godly life. 
I didn't have to fight my parents. I don't mean that. But sometimes young people did or do. I went off to Bible college. It was such a delight. I started just growing like crazy, immersed in the Word of God. Growing, 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 growing. I would call my dad at least once a week and talk to him for an hour. Sometimes I'd talk to him for two hours, sometimes two or three times a week for multiple hours. I became my dad's best friend as an adult. The Lord blessed us and I love my dad. Started growing. He started really growing. Growing, 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 growing. I mean, it was such a joy, right? Just sharing the things I was learning from God's Word. Eventually, I started to realize, wow, my family is, is at best a mediocre Christian family. I didn't know that. God's Word gives light, right? It all came to a head when um, someone that I deeply loved decided they were going to live in sin. I called him once a week. At the beginning, I called him, before he ever made that choice, I called him once a week trying to encourage him. Any way I knew how. Sometimes I was... Sometimes I did better than others, but, but I loved him. I tried to encourage him, tried to build him up in the faith, you know, and uh, he decided to live in sin. And even then, I just kept loving him and kept loving him, kept asking the Lord what to do. And um, finally, we watched a Billy Graham message. We were at my grandma's house and we watched a Billy Graham message until two in the morning. And then I decided before the Lord that I was going to say something. And um, two in the morning, with tears coming down my face, I begged him to repent. And I told him, I said, look, I just have two of you. If you'll repent, I will so joyfully stand in your wedding. If you'll repent, I will, I will love you. I will stand with you. I will do anything I can do to help you. If you choose to leave Christ standing here, where I've chosen to stand, and you go over here, and through your lifestyle, spit in the face of the Savior, I cannot make the choice to stand with you apart from Christ. I can't do it. If you choose to do that, I cannot go there with you. I can't stand before an audience and before the omnipotent God while you make a covenant with somebody, while you're already spitting in the face of the covenant giver. And I pleaded with him to repent. You know, I was really hopeful that night. He responded somewhat humbly. I mean, it looked to me like it, right? And boy, I prayed for him. The next time I saw him, he was furious. Who are you to judge me? Furious. I'll tell you, just, this is just to hopefully strengthen you for whatever God calls you to. Um, my grandma was... She's perfect now. Praise God. I look forward to being perfect too. She was so mad at me. Yelled at me. I cried. My mom told me what I was doing was worse than what he was doing. That was hard to hear. I tried to respond humbly. I tried to say, okay, this is, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I know someday I'll give an account when I stand before Jesus Christ. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I never asked anybody to do it with me. I never even said I was right. I just said I'm going to be judged for what I'm doing. I take that very seriously. I, I wasn't even... I, I don't want to overstate it. I really strongly didn't know if I was welcome at Thanksgiving, at Christmas dinner, things like that. I mean, that's... 
It was hard. My dad officiated the wedding. Sister stood with him. I mean, it was hard. All I'm trying to say is, is that sometimes God will call you to something. He does call us to leave, right? To love Him more than father, mother, sister, brother, right? House, lands. He calls us to that kind of discipleship. And sometimes He will call you to do the right thing and then you do it and everything just goes... And then you question. A hundred times you question, was that right, Lord? Did I do the right thing? You know, I'm so happy um, to tell you that that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story in Moses' life. It's not the end of the story in my family. It took years. When I fell in love with serving the Lord when I was 15 years old, I remember praying, Lord, I want everybody in my family to love you with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength. And that was my prayer for all those years. One by one, my dad, my brother was always there. My dad, my mom, my sister, each in their own way, warriors for the Lord Jesus Christ. They bent their knee to the Lordship of Christ. They recognized Not that I was right, right? Who cares whether or not I was right? They recognized that God was right in what He said. Sometimes God will call you to things that are hard. I hope that you don't have to stand against your family. I see it all the time. People siding with family rather than siding with God. Boy, they're going to regret that when they stand before Jesus Christ and give an account. So God is faithful and is to be trusted. It's one thing to trust God in the desert. You know, you don't, you're not happy with your profession, watching sheep for 14,600 days. You have to learn to trust the Lord. It's a completely different thing to learn to trust the Lord when you're standing in front of Pharaoh. You might lose your life. He rejects the message, and now the Hebrew people are rejecting the message. Like, nothing is going well at this point. God is faithful and is to be trusted. I'll throw this out there for those of you that want to look into it. Um, the Lord's response is incredibly beautiful. Chapter 6, I'm just going to read one verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do. I have I will underlined. And if you want to go home and look into this, I encourage you to. In that chapter, the Lord says, I will. I'm not counting the first one. He says, you will see what I will do. And then you keep going in that chapter. It's seven times. Isn't that awesome? Seven times. He says, I will, I will, I will, I will. At the end of that, if you're not praising God, I think something may be wrong. It's a beautiful portion. So for sake of time, I'm going to leave that out. Lord, help us to honor Him. Uh, Lord, help us to be holy. If you're not 100% holy by the grace of God and for the glory of God, it doesn't matter if you consider it to be small. There are things in this room that need to be brought into conformity to God's perfect will. If you'll listen, the Spirit of God will tap you on the shoulder. Boy, make it right. Don't mess around with this God. Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks for the opportunity to open Your Word. We give You thanks for the majesty of it, the splendor of it, the clarity of it, the usefulness of it. You have given the perfect tool. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And then for every believer in this room, they have the Holy Spirit of God who illumines and brings to life the written text. Father, thank You for this story. Thank You for the lessons that You saw fit to teach to Moses that are recorded for our benefit. Father, please... It's not going to go well for them in this room if they walk away and refuse to obey You. You do discipline and chasten those whom You love. 
in my stupid, stubborn sin, I have made you discipline me. I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would repent today. All of those necessary. That you would tap them on the shoulder and that they would be quick to make things right. Maybe instantly after this message. Maybe in the Lord's time. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know our frame that we are but dust. Lord, I I pray that you would just use your word to accomplish your purposes that the people of God can be blessed. I would be very foolish to think everybody in this room has already decided to live a radically sold out life for Jesus Christ. I know that that's not true. Father, you say in Hosea chapter 2 of Israel that you will woo them. You will draw them out into the wilderness. You will cause them to sing. Carnal Christians and adulterous brides do not sing. There's a sorrow to sin. There's a hardness to sin, a selfishness and a bitterness to sin. Father, I pray for your glorious ministry amongst the people of God in this room that you would woo them, draw them out into the place of blessing and bring them back to the point in their Christian life where they are rejoicing. They're overflowing with songs and love and joy in their Christian life. Please minister to them, first and foremost, for the pleasure and glory of the Son of God. Secondly, for the temporal and eternal blessing of the people of God. Lord, there are so likely people in this room that are one breath and one heartbeat away from spending eternity in the lake of fire. Lord, please, just show them who you are. You're a God of tremendous, fearful judgment. Please help them to be wise and not foolish, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we commit this time to you. Amen.